It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Adeljabar. What's up, brother? How are you? Chilling, man, as per usual. How about yourself? I can't complain. It is 10.25 p.m. on Thursday, the 10th, I think, of June. So this episode this episode will be released probably on Sunday. So if something crazy happens between now and then, sorry we couldn't cover it, but... um. We're talking about China today. China. Changing course. Well, actually, we were talking about China, what, two months ago or so? Yep. Yeah, not, not too long ago. Maybe we can consider this as part of a, you know, as part of the collection. I yeah. do wish that you'd be able to, like, group things together. Like, you know on YouTube how you can make, like, these collections of videos and stuff? Playlist. We do that with our podcasts. Yeah, that'd be cool. Or tag it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Unfortunately. Unfortunately that's, that's not a thing. Yeah, Apple yeah. Podcasts is not that sophisticated. There um, are no podcasts that do that, to my to my yeah. understanding. So, well, can't do it anywhere. Something that we missed, and um, it was a big news story around the same time as everything that was going on with Gaza, and it wasn't a, a huge news story because it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was still very odd. When it was this noteworthy, happened. it was noteworthy. It was telling. And it was that John Cena video. You know what I'm talking about, right? John Cena. John Cena. I have just one question for you. Are you ready? Am I ready for what? Who's this? Are you ready for this Sunday night when WWE champ John Cena defends his title in the WWE Super Slam? Right now, you can order this awesome pay-per-view event for just $59.99. I'm sorry, no. There is not any chance in hell that we're ever going to have wrestling in this house again. But thank you. But no. Have a good day. Hello? And goodbye to anyone standing in John Cena's way when he takes on six men in a steel cage. No, it was a different John Cena video. Uh, way less funny. Way less. Um, it was cool. still pretty funny, but it was. Yeah. I yeah. found it. I found it humorous. It was a little sad. I it found it humorous sad. in a very uh, kind of dark way. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure most of you guys have listened to it um, or heard about it at the very least. John Cena is apologizing in, in Chinese because he called Taiwan a country. That's right. And That's right. the reason why he did that is because. I forget even the context of when he called. So he was how. he was um, he was talking to a Taiwanese uh, reporter uh, about the the new Fast and Furious movie, and he was just like, I think it said something to the tune of like, "Oh, Taiwan's going to be one of the first countries that can actually see the new Fast and Furious movie." 
that was it. It was just like, you know, one sentence where he just happened to mention that Taiwan is a country. And obviously that didn't sit well with his Chinese overlords. <laughs> um, actually, fun fact about uh, John Cena that's, that's pretty interesting. He, he's, he's very active in Chinese social media, so Weibo. Um, and he's been learning uh, Mandarin, and I don't speak Mandarin, so I don't know how good he is, but it sounds pretty good to me. Uh, so props for him on that. But you know, as as you probably already have guessed, China and you know Hollywood have been kind of buddy buddy over the last several years, and you know he's promoting this big, you know, uh, movie. You know, the Fast and Furious franchise has been around forever, and somehow they keep making money on them. Uh, and there are obviously large Chinese interests in that, you know, uh, because they stand to make a shit ton of money in, in China. And if John Cena mouths off about how Taiwan is a country, you know, China could very easily be like, nope, we're not, we're not allowing this movie in China anymore. You can, and you'll lose money. So I think part of it was probably pressure from the, from the, you know, U.S. film studios. I think it's universal, uh, universal pictures, uh, is, is what, um, does Fast and Furious? So some some execs over there probably pressured him into it, and you know he's got a fairly big fan base in China, so I'm, I'm sure he was conscious of the fact that he maybe maybe offended somebody in that way. But it's it's like the most or the least offensive thing he could have said in the, about this particular you know this particular issue, which is just kind of wild and sad. I know it is um, concerning to say the least. When that much money is on the line, though, you know, who knows mm. how you would react or what you would do if you're promoting a movie that's probably going to do what? I, I don't know how much movie. I think they did 100. I think the last movie they did made like 175 million in China. So in you know, China alone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not an insignificant amount of money, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a huge market. So it's easy for us to be like, yeah. We would never apologize. Yeah, I'd, I'd stand up for Taiwan. Twenty million dollars. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Didn't mean to call Taiwan a country. They're not a country at all. I don't know what the hell I was talking about. Yep, it is concerning though, because um, it's embarrassing. You know, it is. Yeah. An, it's a very embarrassing thing to get wrapped up in. Um, yeah, because especially because John Cena as a as a character, not not like the human being, but like John Cena the character is like this all-American, like, you know, brawny, muscly dude, you know, tough guy, WWE superstar, you know. If I'm not mistaken, isn't he a part, like, wasn't he a part of the military at one point, you know? Like, this whole persona that he has, right? And then suddenly, he's in this, like, real big dude bro movie series that makes lots of money, and he slips up and says literally one sentence that could piss off China, and suddenly he's got his tail between his legs. Like, that's symbolically kind of sad yeah like your macho your macho man is like brought down to his knees didn't he right. play in a movie called like wasn't his first movie out of wrestling called like the marine or something like that where he yeah plays, something he plays like a badass yeah. soldier yeah so he's, he's always typecast in those roles yeah well it is concerning to see that uh that influence um, you know, there's other cases like that as well. You know, sure. um, what was that movie called? Was it Red Dawn? The one with Gerard Butler? Oh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Something Dawn Down, whatever the hell it was called. It was with Gerard Butler, and it was a film about, well, initially, the film was about 
China taking over the United States. And when it came to production, when they were going to release this film, they had to change the the enemy to North Korea. So instead of like Chinese flags being draped about, they had to use a North Korean flag because they didn't want to mm-hmm. piss off the Chinese. F- fun fact about that, again, coming back to the Chinese and Hollywood connection there, um, any Chinese, any film that's, uh, uh, has a, uh, like a substantial or even any, I think, uh, uh, Chinese investment, because keep in mind, this is a communist country, uh, the film cannot have China in a negative military role. Like they can't be placed in that role, um, negatively. Like you can make a, a film where the Chinese military is the good guy. That's totally fine. But you can't make the film in such a way where the Chinese military is depicted negatively at all. Otherwise, you can't get the money from Chinese investors. It's just the way that it works. And if you want to open your, you know, if you want to open up, if, if you're Disney, as an example, and you want to open up, you know, the next Marvel movie in China, because they can make, you stand to make a lot of money there, because they got a lot of consumers and their middle class is growing. And you want to play your movie there, you, you got to play ball. Can't you can't put Winnie the Pooh in it? No, or Peppa the Pig, or Peppy the Pig is he Banto? I believe it's a she, but oh. yes, I don't know. I don't watch that shit. All right. Well, um, I mean, Taiwan is a country. It clearly is a country. I mean, they have their own government. It's a they country. elect their own. They elect their own politicians. They have their right. own military. It's physically separate from yeah. the mainland. You know? Very natural borders. <laughs> right. As in, there's about almost 100 miles of water between mm-hmm. Taiwan and the mainland. Um, but it's clearly a country, despite only, I think, about 20 different states in the, across the world recognize it. I know it's not even like a very impressive list of states. It's not yeah, major states. I feel like, Palestine, like has more, more, Palestine has more people backing it than, <laughs> than Taiwan does. Well, I wouldn't say that because the United States backs Taiwan. However, I think this I meant, requires... I meant number of countries that uh, recognize. number of countries. Yeah. Well, I think this requires some background because here's the new... Well, this has been the story for a while now, and I wanted to dive into this today. The prospect of China invading Taiwan and what would be, first and foremost, the likelihood that China would do such a thing Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, you know, would they succeed? And then third, I want to discuss, could the United States even do anything about it if they wanted to? If it's even remotely doubtful, should we do anything about that? So I want to, I think that would be a good topic to explore right now because I think sure. Lloyd, I think Lloyd Austin today, he said something to Congress where we need to concentrate on China um, there has been a bunch of articles coming out, a bunch of think tank pieces coming out, evaluating like the U.S. military versus the uh, Chinese military. So mm-hmm. I think it's worth uh, you know tackling that. And, and honestly, uh, I think we should be given some background as well to what exactly yeah. it is, like what the history is behind this, because I don't think most people know. At the end of the Chinese Civil War. So the war between Mao and the, and the Chinese communists versus the, the Kuomintang, the nationalists, Mao's forces won. The CCP took control of China. So Chiang Kai-shek, the president of the Republic of China, 
what he did is he fled the mainland and then he moved the government to Taiwan. Right. So about 100 miles off the coast of China, I think it's about, I think it's 81 miles apart at its closest point. And um, after they fled, the, the U.S. recognized Chiang Kai-shek. They recognized his government, the Republic of China. That the was original st- republic, right? The original mm-hmm. Republic of China stationed in Taiwan as like the real government of China. Right. And that the PRC was just like basically holdovers. You know, they were just squatting. Yeah, uh, exactly. China. Because mm-hmm. they were communist. Um, and, you know, the United States had a military conflict with them and, and during the Korean War. Well, that change, that changes in the 1970s, in the late 70s, right. when the U.S. ultimately changes their policy. Um, they started to recognize the, the PRC and then they de-recognized the ROC, so the Republic of China in 1979. However, um, the U.S. never went out and recognized China's uh, sovereignty over Taiwan. So they just recognized the, you know, uh, the mainland, communist right. China as China. And then Taiwan had kind of, uh, you know, the, was kind of just brushed to the side or just wasn't really spoken about. It's an so, afterthought, basically. An afterthought. So mm-hmm. to this day, the one China policy stands where the U.S. just recognizes one China. So there's not two Chinas, even though, you know, one is, you know, there's China in both of their names. The People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. The U.S. just said, OK, there's a Repu- there's the People's Republic of China and that's China. That's it. The other thing is just, you know, this weird island, Taiwan, that, you know, we back militarily. <laughs> <laughs> right. For some reason. That we sell arms to, right? Um, so um, what's what's interesting, though, is that the U.S. has a formal relationship with the PRC and an unofficial China, relationship China. with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the way that they were able to get around this is that during the Carter administration, they passed this, this act called the Taiwan Relations Act. It gave the U.S. the legal means to continue relations with Taiwan, including selling weapons. So it was just an act that, a bill that just said, hey, uh, even though that China, we don't recognize Taiwan as a, as a sovereign nation in order for peace and stability and whatever the hell they put in those bills, you know, we still need to have economic ties and, you know, treat them exactly like how you treat every other country. Just a weird political thing at the end of the day. Um, you know, who it's kind of like choose. speaking out of both sides of your mouth, though. You know, because on the one yeah. hand, they were they were saying, "Yeah, China's a thing. We we in one China." Also, we're going to sell weapons to Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is kind of weird. <laughs> well, where the conflict comes in, or the conflict uh, uh, potentially drawing the U.S. in, is um, the mutual defense treaty between. The U.S. and the ROC was was terminated after the recognition of the PRC. So the termination of the treaty ended the obligation that the U.S. needed to provide um, any type of military support or security to Taiwan in the case of them being attacked by China. You know, that would be their main uh, threat out there in the Pacific Ocean. And, um, you know, since the the return of Hong Kong to China in 1997, you know, Taiwan remains one of the few territories that the CCP 
claims, but they don't actually control. And um, do they do they control Macau? Macau Macau was to to Portugal like Britain was to Hong Kong, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know like the level of control that Beijing has over Macau. I know that there's some degree of autonomy when it comes to the gambling, because basically it's just like Las Vegas of China, right? It, officially, I think it's a independent as it's running as an independent city state mostly, but chi- it's definitely under China for sure. So um, I was saying before, there's like all these different studies that have been coming out about China and like evaluating the, uh, you know, the current political situation. What, what does China want? What's China's view on Taiwan right now? And I grabbed uh, this from the Center for Strategic International Studies. And we've used them as a source before. Um, we've used them as a source when we were talking about, uh, you know, left wing and right wing uh, domestic terrorism. So why not use them as a source here? Um, it is widely viewed by Chinese on the mainland as the last vestige of the century of humiliation that began with the opium wars in the middle of the 19th century. The persisting separation of the mainland and Taiwan is also portrayed as a hindrance to China's reemergence as a great power, which President Xi Jinping has dubbed the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. The Chinese Communist Party's legitimacy is linked to his pledge to achieve reunification of Taiwan with the motherland. As commonly held view on the mainland is that no Chinese leader could remain in power if he allowed Taiwan to separate from the PRC and be recognized by the international community as an independent sovereign state. The anti-succession law adopted by Beijing in 2005 sets forth three conditions under which China would be justified in using non-peaceful means and other necessary measures to protect China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. One would be Taiwan independence forces cause Taiwan's succession from China. Two, major incidents entailing Taiwan's succession from China occur. Or three, and here's the the important one that I think we should focus on, possibilities for peaceful reunification are completely exhaust. Which... I think that would be the pretext of an invasion of Taiwan would be under, you know, because right. they no longer believe that they can reunify under peaceful pretexts. And it, over the past 70 years, there's always been tension between China and Taiwan, but there hasn't been any violence. There's been some time there. There's been a couple of times where, you know, there was some uh, flexing going on but there had Definite never been flexing <laughs> yeah that happens all the time actually yeah china um, actually pretty recently would flew like a like a like a bunch of bombers and shit into the um taiwanese like uh identification airspace um just as a quote military exercise they do that all the time though yeah they do that all the time i mean that is a particularly like big incursion that means you're going into their airspace uh, with and and you know that's if it, people who aren't like of calm mind might take that as a threat and like actually open fire and that could that could actually start a war so it's actually pretty dangerous that um that china would decide to incur 
on that airspace. But, you know, from China's opinion, that is their airspace. So, you know, uh, that's that's kind of the 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 running running topic. I still think it's dangerous, though. No, it's definitely it's definitely not smart. It's not a I mean, maybe it's smart in terms of the what the Chinese uh, think tankers want, but definitely it definitely sounds like a potential uh, conflict could happen. And it's interesting that China was pursuing a policy of peaceful reunification, but they were using things like economic benefits and things like that. For instance, both countries have strong relations. So this is something that's never really mentioned in all these different papers that are coming out about, you know, the imminent threat of war right now. Right. China is Taiwan's largest trading partner. Um, and Taiwan is China's 10th largest trading partner. So they have heavy that's, that's actually pretty economic imp- that's, ties. That's impressive. That's, that's impressive because I didn't know that until just recently either. That like China, China does a lot of trade. I mean, ten, their 10th largest partner is Taiwan. That's, that's impressive. And I learned, you know, by it's like doing two, research. It's like 2% it, of their trade, their trade is their, in Taiwan, which is it's significant for, for a country that has like 30 million people. You know, Taiwan's right. small. It's very, it's not compared to China, the population. Their is. output is, their output is <clears throat> incredible, you know, um, yeah, no, that's, that that part is, is pretty interesting. And, and the, the fact that, you know, I think that's probably the reason why there hasn't been any, like, major violence is because of how closely economically tied they are to one another. Like, yeah, it's only their 10th largest trading partner, but China's not trying to risk that either. You know, China's smarter than that. They want to make money. Yeah, and also they're at risk of ruining other trade relationships um, as far as, like, an international backlash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not profitable for them to. Um, this would be a total nationalist policy. Um, some analysts right. are talking about how China wants to take control of their chip because um, Taiwan manufactures a lot of uh, like semiconductors and stuff like that. So they want to do, they want to take control of that industry or those industries. But I don't know. I don't necessarily f- find too much water into that. I think. A lot of this is, um, I think there definitely is this nationalist um, sentiment in China to reclaim their territory. And the reason why I think that is because there's always been, going back to the fall of the Qing dynasty, when um, you know the, the People's Republic of China, ironically enough, embarked on a plan to reunify all of China from the different warlords that divvied up the country after um, the World fall War of the I. Qing dynasty. So yeah, I can I can believe that is uh, a part of the uh, ethos right now in in China. However, the economic reality I don't I don't necessarily I don't see them taking that big of a that that big of a gamble. You right? don't, but if you read the media these days, you you feel like they are, and and I think a lot of what what's going on is like she you know getting like taking more aggressive stances in in like open forums, right? on 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 this issue of sovereignty and there's and you know obviously they have a, a ton of different reasons for this you know it's J- chinese nationalism like talk about piggybacking off of our series of like the the creation of the chinese state you know it is on the rise like be like there is a burgeoning middle class there 
um, they're coming into their own in that respect, and they're also investing heavily in their in their military. So you, know, you put all these elements together, and you get like a, a rise of Chinese nationalism. So the the natural offshoot of that is to to look to all the territory that they believe that is in this Chinese sphere of influence that they believe is theirs. And that's obviously Hong Kong, you know, Macau, definitely, we already know that those two are firmly within Chinese grasp. But, you know, the ones that are still kind of outliers are places like Taiwan, or, you know, the South, the islands in the South China Sea that everyone fights over, you know, so those, those are all, you know, just natural occurrences from, from this rise of, of, of Chinese nationalism. And, you know, another big thing to add to that is, um, they have a modern military now. Yeah. So there is a possibility that they could pull this off, that they would be able to um, you know, conquer Taiwan and, and complete the reunification of, of China. Um, I don't even know. Was Taiwan part of any major dynasty, uh, Chinese dynasty? Or what dynasty was like was Taiwan, I mean, the island that Taiwan part of? It, you know, it I, must have been. It it must have like I don't recall this from our like ancient Chinese studies. Uh, I don't recall this explicitly, but it must have been if if that's what um, uh, you know is in the the national ethos that, that that Taiwan is a part of China. You know, it wasn't like an empty island that nobody lived in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the the ROC didn't just like escape to like a, oh look we found this giant island that no one lives on and that's where we're going to go and escape no i mean there were people there and that's what israel (laughs) you know let's not dig let's not open up that can of worms again (laughs) um but yeah i mean i I think having a military now definitely you know it entices the 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 hawks and i think that that's probably true of every country once once you start you know acquiring certain military assets you 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 think you can use them well, you have to take in mind that the PRC was incredibly poor for a very mm-hmm. large part of its history. It's still very, yeah. very poor in a lot of parts in China, especially in right. Western. I mean, China. if you if you average it, if you average their their GDP across all their people, yeah, they're it doesn't look great per per capita. No, it doesn't. Um, but previously, when China was very much in poverty. You know, before they started transitioning to more of a free market economy, the PRC, they, they wouldn't be able to pull off any type of reunification by force. Let's just put it that way. Um, and a lot of their new wealth that they have been acquiring has been allocated to their military. Meanwhile, you know, I don't think Taiwan had, has really been investing too much into defense. If they wanted to, they, they could definitely invest more because Taiwan is definitely a wealthy nation. They make money. Ironically, Taiwan is has their own form of national identity coming up. Mm-hmm. So there is a poll, and, and that's despite the fact that they're not like increasing their their military spending. Yeah. yeah. So eighty three percent of their population identifies as Taiwanese rather than Chinese. Mm-hmm. And very few people in Taiwan are are sympathetic to the CCP. And who could really blame them after having a, a, a front row seat to the horrific mass atrocities like the Great Leap Forward and the, and the Cultural Revolution and in more and in um, in more recent you know, history uh, the the suppression of uh, of Hong Kong uh, d- democracy protest like China right. is a to- totalitarian country. 
Right. Especially because they're doing fine on their own. Again, like they're, they're a wealthy nation. They, they have a high standard of living. They have a high GDP per capita. They have no reason to like want to be a part of China with the exception of like China has a massive military, <laughs> you know, so for better or for worse, that's probably the, the only thing that China has going for them that would interest the Chinese even a little bit, you know, in either a negative or a positive way. But like what the what the ultimate thing is, though, is what the Taiwan expects U.S. protection and right. the U.S. clearly has no. Well, no, they have a policy. They just don't have a clear policy. It's if, a handshake agreement, basically. If if the U.S. will protect them or not. So that's right. the issue. So um, Doug Bando, um, he uh, writes for Cato, the Cato Institute, and he had wrote, he called this uh, strategic ambiguity. Hmm. So the, uh, the U.S. is refusing to take a clear position, then both sides will be confused and won't do anything stupid. It's pretty that smart, his, actually. That was his take. That's what that's what like U.S. policy is: strategic ambiguity. So, right. let either side um, know what the U.S. is going to do. So don't don't give Taiwan the impression that you'll have its back, so they won't start shit, and don't and vice versa. Don't let China know that you wouldn't go protect them because then they'll start shit. So that's the reason for the policy. To make everyone confused and unsure, and ultimately just continue the status quo, because I don't think anyone wants smart. that to happen. Which I would say, I mean, but, that would probably be the the real politic thing to do, right? Or the Machiavellian yeah. type thing to do is just don't let anyone, don't really comment too much, make very vague comments when it comes to the Taiwan situation. Nevertheless, with these uh, the tensions rising, especially in the news and in the face of, uh, you know, we're coming off trade wars and now we're coming off COVID. And, you know, now there's more and more evidence that COVID came from a lab in Wuhan. But with these tensions rising, um, policymakers are advocating for the U.S. to finally make an explicit defense pact with Taiwan. Mm hmm. And what a lot of analysts are saying is that just by making that defense pact, that would be enough to deter China from, from invading. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan. But nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. 
We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Which honestly does make sense. Like, that's not... I wouldn't call you a psychopath for saying that. Like, if we just right. made that pact with with Taiwan and we said, hey, we guarantee your protection, protection that would solve everything. Like, China would never even right. dare confront the United States. Um, they wouldn't dare get into a conflict with the United States. There's so much on the on the line. Xi Jinping would ruin China. Um, they would he would bring it he would bring about its ultimate downfall. So why not just make a pact with them? Because the threat of going to war with the United States is such a deterrent that they would never even think twice about moving forward with an invasion. But is it though? But is it a deterrent? Um, it's. It certainly seems like it would be. But what if it wasn't? Hmm. What if it wasn't? So another big uh, um, think tank piece that came out recently about this uh, China. This one came out a couple of days ago um, from Foreign Affairs Magazine. And the title, the the uh, report, the study is called "The Taiwan Temptation: Why Beijing Might Resort to Force." It was written by Oriana Schuyler Mastro, who is a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And uh, the American Enterprise Institute is at the forefront of uh, warning against ultimately the idea of ever cutting defense spending that's what they do they just say no we can't cut defense spending we'll be conquered that's that's basically what that right. think tank does which i kind of mm-hmm. think a lot of this uh, a lot of this uh fever fever or fervor or whatever the hell fever fever fervor, fervor fervor a lot of this fervor coming out right now is to justify bigger budgets i don't know of if you feel the same way hell hell yeah yeah i, I think um you, you can know, justify a way bigger budget too if you're going to fight China, or more so if you're going to like a, an actual state with a billion people that is modernizing yeah. its military, than a, yeah. uh, a you know the Taliban. <laughs> like think about the difference in power. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, with, without a doubt, and and you know there's there's plenty of companies like uh, like defense contractors that stand and make a shit ton of money like these, and and they're the folks who who fund a lot of these, you know, uh, think tanks and, and they're the ones that are, you know, putting people to do the, to, to do the research. So, you know, yeah. of course. And these think tanks are also, Without a doubt. Fun, they're, they're funded by the aerospace companies. Right. Their seed money 100%. is given to them from like Lockheed Martin and yeah. Boeing. Yeah, Raytheon's like, here's, here's, <laughs> here's like, hey, write this fucking to... study. Yeah. About how much more money like, that we need to make, right? It, it, Raytheon was like, "Yo, um, here's 100k. Write me an article, you know, and a policy piece that says like we ha- we should probably like you know bomb someone. <laughs> Anyone? I don't upgrade care. Upgrade our 
fourth generation <laughs> uh, stealth bombers or whatever. Right. We need to upgrade our jammer technology. We need a grade level 47948 and a Humvee vehicle right. that's amphibious and can also um, go on the Antarctic that can wither the Antarctic cold because the next war will take place and in Antarctica. So we need to prepare against for the our aliens. budgets against the aliens in Antarctica. A right. lot of people are saying the UFO stuff stories that are coming out right now. Oh, it's it, are they, all they are just, coming out, and I really. They're all just like Raytheon, like ploys to get us to like spend more money on the on the thing on the government, uh, the military. Yeah, probably. I do want to do if we have time sometime this month. I would like to explore that because uh, I'm a huge alien nut, and you know, tell us in the in 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 the uh, um, you know, tell yeah, us through Twitter, tell us anywhere. Like we can do that if you yeah. want to hear about that because I'm I'm super interested in that shit. Let's <laughs> let's let's definitely um, do that in the next in the next couple of weeks because we, we've already talked about it with some of the people on our Patreon who want us to do that episode. So yeah. Um, yeah, but you know people have been saying um, I haven't really been paying attention to this UFO crap <laughs> to be completely honest because my <laughs> take is that I mean how the hell if there if there are aliens visiting us. I don't care how many F-35s that we manufacture or what new technology we make. If they're able to travel from one galaxy to another galaxy and land here, and if they're aggressive, they're, we're not going to... They they have most likely figured out a way to wipe out all organisms on this planet that are a threat to them. You know, without destroying like the natural resources they need. That's just my frame of thought. Yeah, yeah. They most likely. And I think there's a, there's a lot of arguments that that align directly with that. There are a few counter ones for that as well, and I'd love to get into that in a different episode. But let's let's get back to the the Taiwan bit, and and you know, so we were talking again, just to refocus. Okay, on sorry. This foreign foreign off the rails. Magazine. Yeah. All right. So we were talking about <laughs> the American Enterprise Institute, their study about. Um, you know the threat of uh, China and all this. So um, I'm not reading the entire thing; just some some uh, key passages that I found interesting. So China has accelerated its military operations in the vicinity of Taiwan, conducted 380 incursions into the island's air defense identification zone in 2020 alone. Mm-hmm. In April right. of this year, China sent its largest ever fleet, 25 fighters and bombers, into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Yeah. So, yeah, I mentioned that a little earlier. That's that's the one I was talking about. It's 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 crazy. Uh, that that is a you would we 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 would never do that to China. We would never do that to Russia. You know, with without like by being being a total accident or you know wanting to start a fight. That's that's what that is. And, and to put this in a little more context, back in 1996, China did some missile tests in the Taiwan Strait. And allegedly, it was to send a message to Taiwan, like, hey, hey, it's China. It's the dragon. China. China. Um, and the U.S. reacted. They sent two aircraft carriers, and then they... they Shut them up, basically. They basically basically (laughs) apologized and said, sorry about that. Now we're at a different context. You know, the uh, post-2000s. In 96, 
in in 96 they were in shit you know like they were firing off a bunch of rockets basically to you know to scare taiwan and be like oh look we can reach you and then the u.s sends over like you said a, a strike group like a carrier strike group and they completely pulled the john cena and apologized about it um, and that was before but, that was before the disaster of of uh, the iraq war in 2003 so it was like right. oh they just you know came off from picking on these other countries uh we better watch out <laughs> that's right and 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 that's when i think we had a lot more you know we haven't exactly won uh, a war in a while so you know we have a pretty bad track record right now even though our military power is a force to be reckoned with without a doubt you know china now has weapons that you know have capability to to you know mess with a carrier strike group for sure so the, well, the the gravity of a strike group today is a little less if you're China than it was before. We can't do that anymore, not with impunity. Well, they'll definitely they'll sink aircraft carriers. Um, but we could try. They'll certainly try. Mm-hmm. They they'll they'll most likely succeed. So much of the modernization, including updates to hardware, organization, force structure, and training was designed to enable the People's Liberation Army to invade and occupy Taiwan. Xi expanded the military's capabilities further, undertaking the most ambitious restructuring of the PLA since its founding, aimed specifically at enabling Chinese forces to conduct joint operations in which the Air Force, the Navy, and the army and the strategic rocket force fight seamlessly together, whether during an amphibious landing, a blockade, or a missile attack. Exactly the kinds of operations needed for armed unification. Several retired military officers have argued publicly that the longer China waits, the harder it will be to take control of Taiwan. Articles true. and state that is true. Articles, true, very true. Articles in state-run news outlets and on popular websites have likewise urged China to act swiftly. And if public opinion polls are to be believed, the Chinese people agree that the time has come to resolve the Taiwan issue once and for all. According to a survey by the state-run Global Times, 70% of mainlanders strongly support using force to unify Taiwan with the mainland. And 37% think it would be best if the war occurred in three to five years. So I don't, I don't believe those numbers because it is a state-run global, the, the state-run Global Times. But I definitely think that, you know, because of the rise of, of Chinese nationalism, that the, the opinion about, you know, solving the Taiwan issue uh, is definitely risen. Well, I don't know if it's like a 70%. I want to see know, that poll uh, strong because— support. 70 and 37 percent don't match up right that's more no what they're saying here no no no. (laughs) it's one of those like do they ask two questions like do you want to go with the war with taiwan once questions (laughs) no it's what they're saying is 70 percent of the mainlanders uh, um, support using force to take okay gotcha that's one and that's one question the second question is do you want to do it in three to five years you know, so uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. That I, I makes still don't. Sense. I still don't believe those numbers. They they, they seem fairly high. Um, you know, I don't think we can get seventy percent of Americans to agree on shit. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what the 
Chinese culture is like, but something tells me that they're not all completely unified. And if and if these are the real numbers that they're getting from people, it's because <laughs> it's because if you don't say that, then you know maybe you'll be in trouble or some lose social credit score or something like that. The only so. legitimate the only country that you'll see legitimate poll numbers like this and like legitimate voting numbers like this that are very consistent across the entire population is Syria when it comes to voting for Assad, 95%. Exactly. exactly. That's the only place you're going to find <laughs> legitimate numbers like that. 95%. Of 95% of the time, he wins 100% of the time. Yeah. Right. But let's go on. Let's go on, Harry, your wizard. The Chinese analyst and officials I have spoken to have revealed similar sentiments. Even moderate voices have admitted that only a that not only are calls for armed unification proliferating within the CCP, but also they themselves have recommended military action to senior Chinese leadership. Others in Beijing dismiss concerns about a Chinese invasion as overblown, but in the same breath they acknowledge that Xi is surrounded by military advisors who tell him with confidence that China can now regain Taiwan by force at an acceptable cost. So, um, all right, a debatable on the acceptable cost bit. Maybe, maybe because China hasn't been to war in like I don't know, seventy years or something like that. Maybe because they haven't been to in in a major conflict, they haven't, you know, developed the same aversion that other modern countries have to loss of life. Um, like the United States, as an example, like the UK, like Australia, you know, France, places like that. Like these Western countries, uh, we we don't like even a single person dying. Like that's a it's a tragedy, and it should be that way. But I, maybe because China hasn't been in a major conflict where they've lost, you know, lives that that they that they believe that anything is an acceptable cost to try and regain Taiwan, but. As, as we'll chat about, I, I guess, in, in a bit here, you know, can they do it? Are, are they capable of doing it? You know, are they prepared to, to you know, to, to, to launch a major campaign on, on the island of Taiwan? Well, what they're doing is that they're, they prepared four campaigns, apparently, and um, four campaigns to take over the island. One of them... Some of them are they can clearly do, and, and um, some you know the, one of them they can't do. And uh, the first one that they can do is that they could um, they can airstrike the shit out of out of military targets. Sure, using missiles and and uh, and bombers, they'll be able to hit military targets. They're also yeah, going to be able to um, blockade. Taiwan, if they wanted to, and maybe, and then um, they're also going to be able to to hit U.S. forces deployed nearby with ballistic missiles and stuff like that. Range-wise, sure, they have the range for it. I'll, I'll give them that. And then, um, finally. Um, the fourth and final campaign is an amphibious assault. That one's the most unlikely, in my opinion. There's no well, we I don't want to say no that. way, but an amphibious well, assault. I, I've got a lot of I got a lot of 
I got a lot of notes on that. We can talk about that in a bit, but what the, the, I think the, the first three they can, they they can yeah the I definitely have a lot of notes on that. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But the first three things that you mentioned is within the realm of capability. Whether whether or not they actually go forward with it is another question altogether. Like like the third one, like a m- m- missile and airstrikes against the U.S. forces deployed nearby, like that. Technically, can they do it? Sure. You know, like in an actual situation, like in an actual like conflict situation, do they do we think that they'd have the balls to try? That's a different question, you know. But this is concerning. I guess it really. What just, are they capable of doing? Yeah, they're capable. They're capable sure. of doing all of that. Right. I mean, I'm I'm capable of punching you in the face, but like, am I going to? <laughs> Actually, yeah. No. You're, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but what are you like? What are you capable of doing successfully? And the only mm-hmm. thing that they're not capable of doing successfully, if they wanted to pay the toll of of uh, consequences, um, whether that be um, internal consequences or external consequences from the outside world. The only thing that they probably wouldn't be able to do, they succeed at, is a beach landing. Well, I mean, again, if we're only talking about capability, I think they have the capability, but the cost would be so immense that it wouldn't be feasible. And I don't mean like money cost. I mean like human cost, lives. Sorry. I mean, they're all capable on paper how how feasible it is i think is up for debate um but then but then like i do want to like focus on that u.s bit because you know you could try and hit the u.s and and you know maybe the u.s always intended to to back up taiwan right and you know the, the question would be like could the u.s reach taiwan and like help them out in time right i think that there's estimates about this that the chinese say that they can do it in two weeks right so, like the Chinese people say it themselves, like the, the the military thinks that they can do this in two weeks. Is two weeks enough time? Could the U.S. react in time? I mean, they could also potentially keep the U.S. in the dark during the early hours of the attack. Like this paper was talking about, like spoofing and jamming technologies. So potentially, like radar like, jamming. Yeah, radar mm-hmm. jamming. So. The U.S. Navy might not even be able to react right away to if they were going to do a full-out assault on Taiwan. It may be even too late. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on where the where the strike group is placed at the moment. But, um, I mean, even if they did radar jamming, to be honest, the, the equalizer in all of this is like space and military, um, military assets in space, like satellites. You know, we can literally just look and see what's going on you know any one of these four campaigns are major campaigns that we would be able to see relatively easily you know like you don't you don't set up a blockade and not have somebody notice (laughs) you know you you don't you don't fire off volleys of hundreds of missiles and not and not have that caught on on satellite you also definitely don't attack u.s forces and not and not um uh not notice uh and and of course for an amphibious assault any amphibious assault that they would want to try that would have to be like very large scale um because again taiwan is a is a pretty pretty sizable country with with a 
sizable active military. How dare um, you call the country? <laughs> uh, um, well, you know, you know what I mean, though. Let's talk about let's talk so, about the amphibious assault. Okay. So, um, I, I can I can kind of like shift around. I I've, I've, I got some notes on this stuff. So I actually read um, a article. And it, it actually makes the case that Taiwan can actually win a war with China, which it sounds on the face of it just ridiculous. This was on foreign policy. Um, and um, this guy named Tanner Green, he wrote this in September 2018. So some of the numbers are a little bit old, um, a lot, especially on the like counts of military and counts of like weaponry and stuff like that. A lot of it, a lot has changed, but the general idea I think still is very poignant. <clears throat> and he wrote... Uh, and he was uh, uh, mentioning how uh, she has been ratcheting up, you know, this mm, idea of like doing something about Taiwan. And, and he quoted him in saying that uh, he said, quote, well, we, ha- we have firm will, full confidence and sufficient capability to defeat any form of Taiwan independence secession plot. We will never allow any person, any organization or political party to split any part of the Chinese territory from China at any time or in any form. So basically she's putting his foot down right and and it, it seems eminent and you know this guy here he's 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 bringing up two major studies that were recent one was by michael beckley who is a political science uh, scientist at tufts university and the other one is ian easton who is a fellow at project 2049 institute and he wrote a book on on this particular topic called the chinese invasion threat uh taiwan's defense and american strategy in asia and he uses those two studies to like paint a picture of like what would happen. And I, I think we kind of brought up some of the, the the first bits, right? If you ask the Chinese, this is a clean sweep, you know. And according to Xi and all the people that are whispering into his ear about how you know uh, that they can do it, you know, with a reasonable cost, this is the point that I'm kind of scoffing at a little bit. But you know, to your point, it would, it's going to start with rockets, Chinese rockets. So the PLA, the the People's Liberation Army, they, they're going to they have a. They literally have a rocket force. You know, like you know, how we have the air force, the marines, and the army, and things like that. They have a rocket force that that's d- dedicated solely to, you know, uh, uh, missile Rockets. warfare. And it's yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's it's actually kind of incredible. Um, and and you know, they have some of the highest caches of uh, medium range uh, rocket weapons, which can easily strike. Taiwan, right? That that are well within range to hit Taiwan, um, and so they're going to start launching a crazy barrage against Taiwan. And particularly, they're going to target things like infrastructure um, and and like military things, so airfields, communication hubs, radar equipment, uh, transportation nodes, uh, and and of course government offices as well. Um, and and they're going to do this to you know basically crumble the the infrastructure before they ever even think about doing any invasion. And, you know, at the same time, uh, I was reading that there are actual plans in China about, like, activating sleeper cells in Taiwan. So basically Chinese nationals who infiltrate Taiwan and and maybe even, like, sneaking over some special forces to, like, double up on the shock and awe campaign. Basically what they're saying is, they have these plans to to do like political assassinations so to so to kill people like the president or people in her cabinet or party leaders or 
even even like important infrastructural people like scientists and engineers you know stuff that you know like the Mossad does against Iranian you know nuclear f- physicists um, but also like even famous people to be honest like they're just tar- they're just targeting a lot of high priority people and, and the reason why they're doing this is is not only just to soften the Taiwanese defenses for a, a potential amphibious assault but also uh, frankly just to crush morale of the of the Taiwanese people you know and and these are actually plans that they have um now getting to the point here of the amphibious assault you know this would involve tens of thousands of chinese ships and and the majority of them would be merchant ships actually they they wouldn't they wouldn't be like military ships china doesn't have that many um but the reason why they'd need tens of thousands of them is because you would need to ferry over something like a million soldiers and and yeah i'm not even joking a million soldiers they'd need that big of an occupying force because first of all taiwan is a very well populated country right and as we noted before not a lot of them are sympathetic to the ccp not a lot of them are going to be happy about the fact that they're invading and they have something like two and a half million reservists you know so like they do conscription not unlike you know in israel and uh they they would arm them you know and so you would need a shit ton of people on that island to keep like a martial law going but also because china would want to use taiwan as the forward operating base or or the war zone because you know if they do anything the u.s and and japan are probably going to respond right so they don't want that fighting to happen on mainland China. They want it to happen in Taiwan. Um, but she and his people apparently are, are, are you know, resolute to saying that that they'll they'll get it done in two weeks. But I think what this article was super interesting about uh, is that I don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, so I want to tell a quick little story to kind of highlight why this isn't going to be so easy. So do you remember in 2017? Um, you know, during the the hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria. I do. Um, yeah, so it was terrible. I actually went out went out to Puerto Rico after there. The destruction was disgusting. Your grandmother um, was there, but, right? Yep, I went out and, and she was safe. That's actually, you know what? I'll t- yeah, no, she's safe. Uh, I'll tell you the story about that because I think it's super fascinating. Um, my grandmother, she was at the time I think eighty four years old or something like that, right? Older woman. And she lives in not San Juan, Puerto Rico. She lives in like the middle of the mountain in Puerto Rico, a place called Cuamo. Um, and, you know, when when the hurricane hit, the power went out, the communications went out. Like we didn't hear from her for like two weeks and she was out there on her own. Um, one day, my uncle is watching the news about uh, the hurricane and she uh, she is on TV. <laughs> like my, my grandma was being uh, interviewed by some random reporter who got the balls to, you know, jump in a car and go out to the rest of the real island, not just San Juan, to, like, do some real reporting. And by fucking chance, they ended up interviewing my grandma, who uh, was telling the story about how, like, she's totally fine. Um, and, you know, her house is like a concrete box. So, you know, her roof wasn't ripped off. I can't say the same for some of her neighbors. Some it, Like, some of those houses were totally destroyed. Um, I, I saw them with my own eyes, but 
Um, the reporter was asking her like, oh, like, you know, how's it been like without electricity and running water and all that stuff? And she told him, well, like I was born before there was like electricity in these towns and stuff like that. It's fine. <laughs> like I'm used to it. It's cool. Uh, and then she also made a funny comment. She was like, cause she lives in, in the mountain and there's a lot, like a lot of trees and shit, but the hurricane basically stripped all of the trees of all their foliage. And it like created this like beautiful, like landscape view. Cause now she can see beyond the trees. And she was like, look at this beautiful view that I have now. It's like, I can see all the way to the, the coastline and, and stuff like that. And she was a, she was a trooper, true sport uh, about it. And I, I went a few weeks later, um, like as soon as we can find a flight to get out there. Uh, and uh, we hooked her up and we got her like a solar panel and we tried to bring her home with us, but she, she refused. You can't tell a 84 year old woman shit. <laughs> like once they, once they're, they're set, they're set. It's very hard to um, get um an older an elderly person to travel even yeah. though there's a natural disaster <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah no she was good she was fine she was like i'm good good i got my cat i'm the, good the movie anyway, uh, uh so tur- tell- yeah i don't let's not get too track off uh, tracked off. i almost said tracked <laughs> off let's not get so too t- off tracked with other movie stories but yeah um go back to your <laughs> I'm original talking about puerto about rico that. Yeah, I'm talking about Puerto Rico for a reason, right? So if you remember, and this is kind of a funnier moment in, in political history, President Trump was you know, on the news and he was explaining, uh, basically defending himself and the administration um, uh, for their response to Hurricane Maria, which, as you know, was you know, kind of like on, on the uh, par or uh, close to you know, the, the response to Hurricane Katrina, right? It wasn't great, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and you know, he said that one of the reasons why it was so hard to provide help to the island was that it was an island. So he said, and I quote, this is an island surrounded by water, big water, ocean water. If you remember that quote, it's just like him sounding like a fucking idiot. And, you know, the the administration's response to the devastation was obviously shit, but he wasn't technically wrong. Like Puerto Rico is, in fact, an island, and it is surrounded by big ocean water. But Puerto Rico isn't a wealthy and well-armed nation that was resisting the United States. So bringing this back to Taiwan, you know, while it shares the experience of being an island like Puerto Rico, Taiwan, on the other hand, is a wealthy, relatively well-armed nation that has no intention of allowing the PLA to just take a leisurely cruise over to the beach and, you know, take over without a fight. Like, that's not going to happen, right? And so I put so much emphasis on this island bit because... Weather pay, plays such a huge part in this, like, in, in any successful, like, military maneuver on the water. And, you know, one thing that pretty much all the experts know about this particular situation is that, you know, that there's a limited time period where you could conduct a major military operation um, in, this, in that strait between China and Taiwan. And turns out, April and October are your only two windows. They're the only two months in the entire year where there are little to no storms, where the wind and the waves are That's funny because that's just relative. so, that's the opposite of the, of the Western Hemisphere. Like where we, yeah. like yeah. October and April is where we get the most storms. Right, right. You know, so so it's it's but you know right over there, like they they know that April and October that you get almost no storms, the winds and the waves are low. So in other words, this is the only you know good time to send tens of thousands of ships across 
the rel- even the relatively short 100 mile trip from Ta- from the mainland to Taiwan, right? So so you only have two windows that you can do it. And also fun fact, in April fog levels are the highest that they are in the entire year, right? So in April the average visibility distance is a mile and a half, like visual visibility. Mile and a half isn't very far, right? Like you could be sailing into a trap basically. So, you know, it's not just by the weather alone, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to accomplish. And also, there are only 13 beaches on Taiwan's western coast that the PLA could use um to do an amphibious landing. Like the rest of it is just rugged and not a beach, <laughs> you know? So, obviously, if there's only 13 places where they could land, you know, the the Taiwanese people are prepared for a conflict in those 13 places. So they've set up things like underground tunnels and, you know, subterranean supply depots, things like that to make it so that they have the logistics and the, and the infrastructure to resist. Right. It's kind of like, you know, the beaches in Normandy were set up for a, you know, for an invasion, you know? Um, But, but the, the point though, is everybody knows this, including the Taiwanese military and the PLA so the PLA are going to lose their element of surprise. The Taiwanese are going to know exactly when and where they get hit. Even more to the point, though, you don't just whip up a million people and stick them on tens of thousands of ships at a moment's notice. Like, that takes a long time to organize that much stuff. Uh, so I have a quote for you here. Um, Easton estimates that Taiwanese, American, and Japanese leaders will know that the PLA is preparing for a cross-strait war more than 60 days before hostilities begin. They will know for certain that an invasion will happen more than 30 days before the first missiles are fired. This will give the Taiwanese ample time to move much of their command and control infrastructure into the hardened mountain tunnels, move their fleet out of vulnerable ports, detect suspected uh, suspected agents and intelligence operatives, litter the ocean with sea mines, disperse and camouflage army units across the country, put the economy on a war footing, and distribute uh, weapons to Taiwan's 2.5 million reservists. So the Taiwanese here are going to have a heads up to prepare. Like a lot of heads up. They're going to know exactly where and when it's going to hit. They're gonna they're gonna have an opportunity here, right? It's definitely not gonna be a surprise attack. But then you know, then the question always comes down to like, oh, but you know, so what? China has a bigger military. They spend way more money on the military. I mean, we we're, were just talking about how Taiwan hasn't increased their military budget since like 2012, or very lightly increased their military budget. Meanwhile, you know, China's building aircraft carriers and fucking stealth fighters and shit. Right, so let's compare that really quickly. So, and this these numbers are as of 2018, but this was the most comprehensive numbers that I can find um, from the same source. And to add to your point, um, just because you have the most expensive military doesn't mean you have the best military. That's that's right. Um, so, as of 2018, at least, and, and trust me, a lot of these numbers are way low for today's standards. With this three years ago, and China's done a lot on this front, and so is Taiwan actually, um, but. As of 2018, China's military budget was 154 billion. Taiwan's is 10.4 billion. 
active duty troops in China were 915. That number now is like 1.3 million in China. Taiwan was 140,000. So that's a lot different. Um, tanks. Uh, so China has 7,400 tanks. That, that's kind of a, I don't love that number because like half of those tanks are like 1950s, like Cold War, like T90 tanks and shit. Like they're like, they're shit. Um, but let's just give it to them. 7,400 of them. And Taiwan only has 1,200. So artillery, uh, China has 10,600. Um, Taiwan has about 2,300. Uh, you know, but all this stuff is terrestrial, right? So really, you know, we got to talk about the Navy because this is going to be a, a Marine battle for sure. So the Navy, uh, the destroyers, China has 20. Uh, Taiwan has four frigates. Um China has 39, uh, Taiwan has 22, so that's a more even match there. Submarines is not even a competition. Uh, China has 34, uh, Taiwan has two, although uh, a different thing that I read, they're up to four now, but let's be real, that's not enough. Um, coastal Missile Patrol, this is a, a more even, so these are just literal ships um, that, that have missiles on them that do like close-to-shore operations, so 68 um for china and 44 for um for taiwan and finally the one that's the most evenly matched uh which will also be a very important part of the of this battle is fighter jets um so 400 for china and 420 for um taiwan so in, in this case actually taiwan has an edge and i'd argue uh, has has a massive edge uh if we're just doing toe to toe fighter jets because neither side can um use every ship uh, every fighter right now because many of them are being serviced and things like that um but uh by by many accounts taiwan's got more up-to-date fighters and you know things like the j20 like the new stealth fighter that uh china has they they have like maybe 10 total you know like the majority of their planes are old as dirt so you know fighter jet to fighter jet there's there but like you know, for the rest of that entire comparison, like China's winning on pretty much all the fronts. So there's definitely this imbalance in the power there. But honestly, military dollars don't win wars, right? I mean, if they did, we wouldn't be stuck in the Middle East for more than 20 years, right? Well, would the Taiwanese adopt that guerrilla style warfare like the Taliban does or 100%. like the Iraqi insurgency does? Or would they just 100%. say, or would they just say, "Hey, listen, like, we don't want to go through this. We don't want to like live the life of war. We don't want to rebel. We don't want violence. We don't want to lose our family members. You know, we just want to continue our standard of living." Yeah, we'll be China again. Just give us some autonomy as far as like you know our own courts and stuff like that, and you know let us have some. Um, separation from the government in beijing and you know maybe we can be something like hong kong um but like a better deal than hong kong has right now <laughs> no nobody wants to be like hong kong right now to be honest yeah i guess i guess um, that's not I, a great point but can we be like hong kong no. was like 15 years ago rather than two years <laughs> yeah. ago um yeah like do you think that they could work something out like that like because the way of life because taiwan is a wealthier nation in the world like the this, that's right 
I'm convinced. Like sometimes I go back and forth with this thought process, and I'm not sure entirely. You know what? No, I, I I'm constantly changing my mind. Um, if there were invaders in the U.S., let's just say if there was some more powerful country, the UFOs, the alien species, UAPs. But let's just say mm-hmm. they were, um, you know, using just upgraded tactics um, rather than, you know, just technology that would completely obliterate us. But, you know, we were able to resist them to some degree. But, you know, we'd be living a life of hell, you know, like just every man, woman, and child in America would be armed and ready to fight and constantly losing family members and drone alien strikes and things like that. (laughs) <laughs> would yeah. we fight to preserve America as we know it? Would the United States fight? Like, would we give up or would we submit? I don't know. I, 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 some, I don't know. I think elements of the United States, like different, I think different uh, communities would fight. Washington, D.C. would submit. <laughs> the people who live in that area of the country and the beltway would submit. <laughs> but your rednecks down south will probably kill. I mean, you know. We'll kill. There's... The rednecks down south will kill. <laughs> yeah. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, you know, so... so you know what I mean? I mean? Are there so I'm saying, like, what, yeah. I'm saying, like, how... <laughs> Would Taiwan just say, fuck it, we don't care anymore. Let's just, we don't, don't feel like going would. through this shit. We don't want to, mm-hmm. we don't want to live in a war zone. We'll just, we'll just be part of China. Like, you I think they, I don't they, think they will. I, I don't, I don't think they will. I think they'll fight. Um, I, I think you, you pointed out like the, you know, the numbers on, on how many people in Taiwan identify as Taiwanese, how many people uh, or lack thereof. You know, sympathize or support the CCP, and already I'm I'm already starting to make a case that this isn't going to be a surprise attack. They're going to have plenty of time to to 
prepare. It's going to be like fucking Kevin McAllister setting up his shit on Home Alone when you know the sticky bandits were outside of the house and they were like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna come, we're gonna come tomorrow, and we're gonna you know hit him when he's scared and hiding under the bed." You know, like fucking Joe Pesci and and whatever the other guy's name is, right? So that's basically the situation that they're gonna set up. And I'm not even kidding, dude. It is gonna be a straight up like Home Alone situation because. You know, this country, again, Taiwan, is is a, they have a shit ton of money, you know? And maybe they haven't been increasing their military sp- expenditure over the last couple of years, but they don't necessarily have to. It's a lot cheaper to build a ship, you know, killing missile than it costs to build a ship, you know? And you don't need that many of them. You just don't. Here's some, here's some interesting stuff, right? They, they can make it extremely painful, for China. So, uh, coming back to this article again, you know, he, he's writing that first of all, Taiwan has missiles also, and they can hit China back. So, yeah, China's going to hit them, but Taiwan's going to fire missiles right back. And and you know what they're going to do? They're going to hit staging areas uh, like Fuzhou, uh, and they're also going to target radar systems along China's east coast. You know, and they're going to be relatively successful. It's like you said, it's not a very far thing. It's eighty miles. Like you know many surface-to-air missiles at this point can make that journey accurately, I, I might add, you know? So, you know, it, it's it's kind of like you know, the situation in North Korea where, where they have, you know, a shit ton of artillery pointed at Seoul, you know? Like, you know, would they win in a forever war? Maybe not, but, like, they can definitely make it very painful for anyone who's going to try and invade them. Um, so they're going to hit them with missiles. And they're definitely going to hit... All of the ships that are coming along to try and do an amphibious assault, because basically those ships are going to be sitting ducks. Let's be real. We Taiwan does have a number of submarines, and honestly, all they need to do is park them in the middle of the ocean and wait. And as soon as there's you know enough of those you know missiles, uh, excuse me, enough of those ships overhead, they're gonna they're gonna launch a bunch of torpedoes, and they have plenty of them. And also they have F-16s that fire you know harpoon missiles, which are uh, uh, surface to uh, surface to water missiles, right? And you know their ship ship killer missiles. Um, and also, this is pretty interesting. They have a fucking mountain bunker in the middle of the uh, of the uh, um, the island. And evidently, they have these mountain bunkers that are that have that are empty that are like basically airplane hangars where they're storing shit tons of sorties of of these of these F 16s So it's like it's like a like a bee's nest, you know, like like they're all gonna come out like a bee's nest. So they have like a place that are that is nuclear proof that they can hide. Um, what else? So uh, sea mines, dude. Sea mines. Remember we, we were talking about limpet mines uh, when when that oil tanker got hit in the uh, uh, in the canal uh, there a couple a couple months ago. Yeah, the limpet um, mine is base is like that. Um, go explain what a limpet mine is because I don't want to butcher this, but. Yeah, so limp, limpet mines are just like like they, they float around in the ocean and, and they're magnetic and then yeah know, if they stick to you, you know, like they explode. There's also moored mines which are like on tethers, right? So like you have an anchor and they put it in the bottom of the ocean and then there's a mine and then it also has mag- magnets on it and like if you swim by it, like it'll blow up. Mines are fucking hard to like. There's a reason why like you're not under international law, you're not to, you're not supposed to mine things anymore. Um, but they're they would definitely do it if if it was like life or death situation. They'll certainly fucking mine the shit out of the entire their entire coastline. 
like without without thinking twice about it. Um, and and that's incredibly hard to debug. Here's here's some more interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to read you a quote. Uh, the first craft to cross the shore will be met, as Easton's research shows, with a sudden wall of flame springing up from the water from the miles of oil-filled pipelines sunk underneath. I'm going to explain what this is for a second. They've got... They, they, they obviously remember they know that there's only 13 places where China can possibly land, right? And so what they've done is they've put miles of oil pipeline underneath the water by those shores, and they've rigged them up in such a way that if they wanted to, they can just release a shit ton of oil into the water and light it on fire. What does that remind you of? Um, so like... a. Um, it reminds me of, God damn it! it sounds like a Game you. of Thrones. Wait, let me. A hundred percent. Yep, it is Game of Thrones. Wait, what wait, am I me, talking about? You're talking about. Probably need to timestamp this thing. What fucking battle was this? You want to just tell you? Just tell me. Okay, it's the Battle of Blackwater Bay, right? Where, where oh you know, uh, shit, where yeah. fucking Tyrion, you know, puts a, a shit ton of wildfire in the water in the bay, right? And they just like make pretend like they're not putting up a fight, and they lure all the ships in as far into the bay as possible. And then as soon as they're in close enough, they fire one fucking Bronn fires one flaming arrow into the water and giant green wildfire explosion right and they have this (laughs) like they literally have this they're they're willing to straight up poison the oceans with uh like an oil slick and just light the fucking ocean on fire which is so metal um and they've literally already built this they they have this capability it is pretty uh metal would be the best way to describe that is very metal so and and he he goes on and he says all right so they have to get through torpedoes they have to get through you know fighter jets they have to get through uh limpet mines and moored mines sea mines basically and then they have to get through the wildfire (laughs) right and they have to do all of these things in a you know in a four-week period that at least one of those two four-week periods has maybe about a mile and a half of visibility because of all the fog uh, and then if they just happen to make it by, and we're talking about like thousands of ships are going to get destroyed at this point, you know, like how many ships have to go down before China's like, Hey, maybe this isn't worth it, but let's say they just keep pressing on and they don't care how many people die. Then when they get there to the Island, they're going to be met with, and, and I'll just read it from the quote. Cause the way he writes it is cool. Uh, so he says, uh, he faces what Easton describes as a mile's worth of razor wire nets, hook boards, skin peeling planks, barbed wire fences, wire obstacles, spike strips, landmines, anti-tank barrier walls, anti-tank obstacles, bamboo spikes, felled trees, truck shipping containers, and junkyard cars. So basically, they're going to set up so many fucking booby traps on the landing bay, on the beaches. It's going to be a epic epic pain in the ass 
to do an, an amphibious assault. And so, uh, oh, uh, oh, this is another interesting thing. Uh, uh, I found this super, super fascinating. So he, he was writing about how, you know, the Chinese Air Force or even the rocket forces, you know, uh, the, the big thing is that they're going to hit the infrastructure, right? And they're going to shoot volleys and volleys of of um, missiles to make it easier and softer targets for them to be able to deploy amphibiously. But um, the Taiwanese are very well aware of this and they've created like decoy targets and dummy equipment, kind of like in, in World War II. Do you remember when they had those like inflatable tanks and shit? Yeah. Uh, that they would just like litter, litter around the, the, you know, the landscape to make the Nazis think that there were more of them than there were. Um, so they have the same thing. Uh, and they have a heads up on when to put them out there. But also what's super interesting is um, this guy Beckley, who is one of the, the studies uh, that was pu- published um, the year before before this article was written, he wrote, uh, in, in, in the 1990 to 1991 Gulf War, 88,500 tons of ordnance dropped by the U.S.-led coalition did not destroy a single Iraqi road mobile missile launcher. NATO's 78-day campaign aimed at Serbian air defenses only managed to destroy three of Serbia's 22 missile, uh, mobile missile batteries. There is no reason to think that the Chinese Air Force will have a higher success rate when targeting Taiwan's mobile artillery and missile defense. So what he's writing is that historically, for the U.S., you know, two-time World War you know, champions, like, we... Could we had a really tough time destroying mobile uh, artillery and mobile missile launchers? So China's probably going to have the same problem, which means that those missile launchers are going to be intact when those when those uh, amphibious assault vehicles are making their way onto the beach, which means they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so if you want to ignore all of the things that I just mentioned and you say, you know, know what? China's going to make it. They're going to keep going. Only after all of that shit, well, then they have to deal with Taiwan's 140,000 active duty military, as well as up to two and a half million reservists who at that point have been activated and armed. And they hid them all over the fucking place in cities, in jungles, and all over the place just waiting to carry out a protracted war. Last quote I'll give you, and then and then I'll, I'll turn over the mic here. So he says, Yes, the Taiwanese army projects that it can only hold off its enemy for two weeks after the landing. But the PLA also believes that it cannot defeat the Chinese, the, excuse me, the Taiwanese forces in under two weeks. It will lose the war. Two weeks is our window here. It sounds like if the U.S. really wanted to damage China, they would try to convince them to do this invasion. <laughs> yeah. And all they would need to do to ensure that, you know, it's a balanced fight is just keep selling weapons to Taiwan. And if, and go figure what happened recently, Biden just um, started selling more weapons to Taiwan as early as like in the last two weeks. So the Machiavellian um, way of thinking on this would be like, still don't recognize them correct because so that china thinks they have a chance so china thinks they have a chance 
and uh, don't make a comment. Just make vague comments like, we're committed to preserving democracies and... Blah, 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 blah. Right, blah, blah, and blah. And then mm-hmm. hope they invade and then just make money off of it. That would... Yeah. Have and they arms. stand to make a lot of money. Eh, it sounds like that's what I would do. I don't want to give anyone ideas or I don't want to... I don't want this podcast to give uh, the the, the some war hawks out there ideas. like hey. <laughs> they're like taking notes in the background yeah, somewhere. They're like, oh, now they're gonna bring this, this to the Raytheon board. They've thought of this already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we're not. We're not. You know, we're not the ones thinking. We're of not this. that smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but that's interesting. I, I that actually um, you actually changed my mind on a lot of stuff. I thought that. I was under more the camp that uh, China would be able to pull it off, but you've, uh, I think you've convinced me that they probably wouldn't be able to do it. Because yeah, I, I was mean, um, thinking more in terms of just like, will the U.S. be able to stop them? But I wasn't really thinking about Taiwan's actual defense measures. Because right. the answer, would the U.S. be able to stop them if they were able to just, let's just say, if Taiwan just, like, put up a very weak Rolled defense, over and died, ro- basically. Rolled yeah. over and died. Yeah. And there were, right. like, maybe some small factions in Taiwan that were asking for military aid. And we were like, okay, we're mm-hmm. going to come and, you know, get pulled into this. And I was thinking more in that scenario where right. we probably wouldn't be able to do too much to help them. Because I was looking at I don't at think so these, either. Yeah. These war games that have been conducted by like the Rand Corporation and mm-hmm. by a bunch of different, but by our own military, um, Yahoo News released this big um, classified document basically about like the past two years of war games with China. And we lost like basically all, all like all of them ended up being a loss for the United States. Yep. There was one quote in it where it was like, we lost so much in these war games that we stopped doing them. Like we just stopped doing them because it was, just stopped it was playing. Inclu- yeah. We stopped <laughs> playing these war games and it was all about like China using biological weapons at all the local bases and, you know, killing everyone there. And it was just a disaster. Um, and mm-hmm. Rand corporation um, did studies back in the early 2000s. So, you know, it was a brand the Rand study corporation was based. It was written into the early two thousands, but it was it was um, anticipating the, um, the following decade. So it was written in like you know supposed like to be ahead. about two thousand ten, mm-hmm. two thousand eleven or so. And you know they even had the U S. not being able to um, prevent a um, invasion, but um, you know the way that you put it that China can swing its dick around all 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 at once but I think that China's analysts know I think that a lot of the the um, I think a lot of the uh, evidence that's being used to say hey China's about to invade Taiwan and it's, this is imminent I think a lot of it's being cherry picked because mm-hmm. Xi Jinping, he's not an idiot and he may want to, 
you know, he may want to, um, you know, you, you need to, even if you're an authoritarian uh, um, president or if you are in charge of a totalitarian state, you need some, you, you need to um, placate the nationalism in your country right. because that's where you're ultimately getting your legitimacy is from nationalism. And, um, you know, I could see why politically Xi Jinping needs to talk tough, but I'm sure that um, he has other advisors in his ear who are like, hey, man, we can't do this. You know, I mean, look at Trump. Like every advisor, every president of the United States has their different degrees of people in their administration who vary from Mm -hmm. psychopaths to war hawks to realist um every administration has has them you know like you know trump's psychopaths was like john bolton um right. you know his realists were more like uh, mcgregor the final days um so yeah i i think i'm, I'm kind of uh leaning towards you and a lot of this talk about taiwan is uh is more so meant to just rev up the uh dollars for companies like lockheed martin and raytheon um to spend more, more money so, to, to, to sell more, more weapons to taiwan more, more yeah the more so not just to sell more weapons to taiwan to us for you know if you frame like hey we just had a disaster. Like we're we're coming up to a disaster. The United States will not be able to project power in the Pacific Ocean like it used to. We need to mm-hmm. up our military budget, man. Like, right, nine hundred whatever the budget is right now. What is it like eight hundred fifty billion a year? I forget uh, the exact number. Yeah. Around that number, seven hundred and fifty-four. So. But I think they increased it again. So. Yeah, they increased it again. I, that numbers. I lose track of all the times they increase it. They, we're gonna have a trillion dollar a year military budget. Well, you know, yeah, in the next in, five years, easy. in the next yeah. five years, it's gonna be a trillion dollars a year, unless right. unless like you know, our drug addiction catches up to us, and yeah. the, <laughs> of printing of printing program. money and being in massive debt, you know, within right. the next five years. I don't know when that's gonna happen, um, but you know, it certainly seems like. There's that looming cloud that or impending doom of just incredible inflation and all this horrible economic recession that could possibly come. I mean, who knows if the Fed can print their way out of it next time. But these budgets are going to increase and um, it will be amazing. A trillion dollar budget, um, military budget a year. And um you know, we're we're leaving the Middle East. You know, we it, it certainly seems that the United States has said it's called mercy when it comes to uh, occupying and starting and trying to build governments in countries like Afghanistan. And you know, when so the U.S. fully leaves, <laughs> yeah, when the U.S. fully leaves Afghanistan, come on, we know it's going to happen. That government's going to fold like a stack of cards pretty quickly. Right. 
they they have no legitimacy. Taliban's going to be all over that. We all know that's going to happen. And it's going to be a complete just um um man, I'm looking for the right word, but I just can't really find it's it. It's going to be a shit show. It's going to be Let's a shit show. All right, it's going to yeah. be a uh, a very clear, I mean it's already been very clear that these projects of nation building have been just unsuccessful, <laughs> unsuccessful, short-sighted, ridiculous, insane to believe that they could possibly work in any universe. Um, so, I mean, in a way, diverting our attention to China and Russia and like these big powers that have militaries like they actually have these big armies and we can fight pitched battles we can fight a battle right. this is a scenario yeah, like we wouldn't be fighting the jv squad anymore yeah. right so yeah we wouldn't be fighting the jv squad anymore so we can fight like man we've always wanted to have all just picture a battle with the russians or picture a battle with the billion chinese soldiers um right it sounds like a, a cool video game right it sounds, sounds like, like every Call really of Duty awesome. video game since like 2010. Well, every <laughs> single every single Call of Duty game isn't the villain always some like ambiguous. It's either Russia like, or Eastern. China or both. Oh, is it, isn't that? Don't they make up countries? They'll be like, oh, he's no, from they, they Zagastan make up, or They make something. up a Middle East. So what they do is they make up a Middle Eastern country, right, where the battle takes place, but it's always fought by China and or Russia. Uh, against the U.S. in that territory, but there oh. was a, a um, there was a I forget which um, Call of Duty that was like I think it was Modern Warfare Two if I'm not mistaken where the Russians actually do invade mainland U.S. and it was it was fun there was like Burger Town and shit like that that was a that was a cool video video game um, quite enjoyed it that's um, I I never knew that yeah I always thought they just to uh, avoid controversy they they made up country they made up like some fictional country like Zagastan they always, or something like that yeah they always made up the Zagastans right that was always like because cause they definitely shit on those countries right and they, they didn't make them look very great um, but like the it was always like a proxy war right like that that was just the stage set for you know the Russians and the Americans to ultimately duke it out in, in those particular regions um and then there was the weird like Call of Duty, which was like in fucking space or some shit, and it and it, like featured Jon Snow. I'm not even kidding. Like Kit Harrington was like the evil bad guy in 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 this Call of Duty video game. It's a weird it casting. Sucked. Yeah, it was super weird. I don't picture um, him as a villain. <laughs> I don't want it. No, my queen. My queen. My queen. All right. Um, kind of kind of somewhat related to this while we're talking about space. Um. Can I tell you a interesting theory about how China could invade Taiwan and, by extension, could beat the United States? By uh, computer virus? Mm, not exactly. So, virus, cold. It's cold. Fire. What gets cold? <laughs> I'm doing uh, if you Jeff Goldblum if you remember Independence Day, but my impression is not very good. <laughs> Uh, if if you remember, I was saying that Taiwan gets a heads up about you know Taiwan and Japan and the U.S. Like everybody gets a heads up that China's like preparing to 
to like invade. And the reason why they get this heads up is because, again, the the, the force that you need to amass is going to be massive, <clears throat> and it would show up very easily on satellite imagery. However, if you're China and you want to get this done, you attack United States military satellites. You take those offline first. And the reason why is that, that this is potentially feasible is because China is spending like two or three times more on space and like space R&D than we are by a lot actually they're kicking our ass in space right now and they've got double the amount of military satellites and their civilians and they've got a shit ton of civilian satellites too but you know all of their you know chinese corporations are just the government anyway so they can commandeer all of those satellites the likelihood that they have some kind of like satellite to satellite weaponry in space is probably pretty high it's also probably pretty high for us too to be honest like we definitely have weapons up there that we're not talking about like i have no doubt in my mind and also china has ballistic missiles on the ground that have the ability to shoot satellites out of the sky and to shoot los angeles and basically any city in the country in the united states Right, I would imagine. But, but I mean, but but very specifically, all they have to do is like launch one major campaign, you know, and and make it look like an accident, right? Just blow up a, a, a series of military uh, U.S. military satellites, and that, maybe that creates a situation like Gravity. You ever watch that movie with Sandra Bullock? Where, like, I one, did. It was very you know, it was the, good. The one satellite blows up, and then it causes like this like swarm of shit that like goes around the Earth at like ten thousand miles per hour, and then it just chain reaction of junk in space which would absolutely be terrible let's be real but china just has so many more military satellites than we do that like they can afford of losing a couple like they can afford that that that's fine for them and if they if they remove our eyes in the sky then they can mass up as many military forces on their border as they want and and then taiwan wouldn't have that 60 day heads up that they're coming They'd still have to go in April or October, but they just—it wouldn't be so obvious. Well, God help us, none of this stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because I don't know, man. It's, war with China would, would between the United States. If the U.S. was drawn into a war with China, I just want to give my final my final position. It would be terrible. Like, it would most likely mean a war that could very well result in uh, uh, in nuclear weapons being tossed back and forth, which... The extinction of mankind. Which would be the extinction of mankind. And as crazy as the people who run these countries, and including our own country and... Believe me, I don't. I think China is uh, not good either. However, um, they may be kind of sad- sadist, but I don't think they want to die. <laughs> I don't think. Stu- yeah, they're not. They're stupid. not that dumb because yeah. they actually have to live with the. Well, 
or not live if if DC's nuked. Um, they actually have to deal with the consequences uh, in that respect. You know, you don't really have mm-hmm. to deal with the consequences if you if you. Uh, There's no plan B if you blow up the planet, Gaddafi, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. Just, you're just probably going to get a promotion for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, that's uh, that's my take. I'm. Uh, do you have anything else to add before? No, man, that's, that's all the information I got. Hopefully, hopefully you guys, you know, learn something about not only, uh, the China and the Taiwan situation, but, but also about the, you know, some of the military tactic and strategies that, you know, surround this particular issue. And, you know, let us know what you think. Do you think, you know, China would pull it off? Do you think they'd, you think they'd try? You think the U S would step in and, and help us out, help them out? Like, let us know. Yeah, one more thing I forgot to mention, and I lo- and I forgot to. I saw an article in the National Interest that said that um, Taiwan should learn from the six day, uh, the six day war. So how yeah. <laughs> Israel yeah. Um, preemptively destroyed Egypt's air force? They're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, Taiwan, China could do the same thing to Taiwan, so they should be ready for it. So I thought it was interesting that. There was an article in the National Interest about that, but maybe we can talk about that on another episode further um, because I've been wanting to do an episode on the Six-Day War. But we got Six-Day War and then ultimately uh, UFOs. So we got a lot of content uh, that uh, and some other episodes we've been discussing as well uh, lined up. Um, if you want to support the show, um, and, and thank you guys for listening to another episode, if you want to support the show, um, make sure that you rate and review our podcast on Apple. If you're listening, go to the five-star thing and click five stars, rate and review, and then leave a review. Say, hey, I very much enjoyed your podcast today, and it made my um, hour and a half that much better. Thank you, good sir. That would be the type of review that we would prefer to uh, see when that <laughs> pops up. But... If you want to say, hey, I hope you guys, uh, you know, don't make it back to your house tonight, then, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. Keep that to yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, um, rate and review the podcast. Um, It is the number one way to help this show continue to grow. And then if you want to support us on Patreon, that's Bro History at Patreon. We have extra content on there, early episodes as well as access to our Slack, which is a fun community that we set up. And, um, yeah, that is all I have to say. It is 12.12 a.m. in the morning right now, and it's sweltering hot in this recording room. So I think I might be uh, signing off. (laughs) Same. All right. All right. Thanks, guys, again for listening, and we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. that's not boring a laundry oh a book club 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.